y'all. Welcome to Benevolence, where kindness matters and all are welcome to the table. I'm your host, Ceci Diaz. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome. My name is Ceci Diaz, and I am a wife, mom, high school teacher, and friend. Benevolence Podcast is a ministry where we uplift and encourage through testimonials and conversations that are important in our Christian walk. I pray that Benevolence Podcast blesses your life. Season 6 is finally here and I'm so excited for what's in store for you all in the next 10 weeks. Despite the pandemic and the ever-changing conflicts that our world has undergone, God has done so many amazing things this year. It has been promised, confirmed to me that Benevolence Podcast must keep going. And I do what I do with passion and a humble heart to uplift, encourage, and motivate you to be the best version of yourself. You are tuning into episode one, You Are Not Your Past. On this episode of Benevolence, I will be telling you my personal testimony and what God has done in my life. In season one, episode one, I read a letter to myself giving my testimony in detail. But I felt in my heart to give it again in a more casual way. So that if, you ever, if you've never heard my story before, you wouldn't have to go all the way back to season one. And of course, you are free to do so if you like and catch up on the five seasons. So let's go ahead and get started. So basically, um, my name is Ceci Diaz, of course. I am 33 years old and I was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, I actually was raised there up to the age of 11. Um, I am an only child, so I basically grew up with a young uncle and cousin. I do have a half-sister, um, but when it comes to like just my mom and my stepdad, um, I'm the only child, and I was raised kind of like like alone pretty much. Um, I came from a Christian home, so my mom met my stepdad when I was um, about four or five years old, so um, he has raised me up to up to this point, and um, we all lived in Philadelphia, and we lived in New Jersey as well. We attended a Baptist church, so it was kind of like uh, we had hymns and coritos, and it was just very Spanish Baptist. It was like, um, I think I started in La, La Primera Iglesia Bautista de Filadelfia, and then we wound up going to La Segunda um, Iglesia Bautista de, de, de Filadelfia. So basically in English is the first Baptist Church of Philadelphia, and then we later on went to the second Baptist Church in Philadelphia. But all the while, I was going to actually a, a Catholic school. So I was in a private Catholic school from first, um, actually kindergarten to fourth grade. So I was very involved, my bad, in religion um, as a whole, and we were Christians, and we believed in Jesus, and I grew up with a great childhood. Like, I can't complain. You know, I had, um, I was an only child at the time, so I kind of had, like, my own things, and, you know, like I would say I was kind of spoiled. You know, I just, I just had a great childhood, I'm not gonna lie, so, um, one of the first situations that occurred to, m- to me in my life was around the age of five. My mom and dad were actively involved in church. Um, my dad was um, the music leader and then my mom, she like was a youth leader. She was a Sunday school teacher, usher, like she was everything. Um, she was highly, highly involved in church and so was my dad. And then everything was fine. Like I... My aunt was one of the Sunday school teachers, so it's like my whole family was in the same church as that I attended. Something happened when I was five in which um, involved 
a Sunday school volunteer. You know, I've mentioned this before and I've mentioned this a couple times, but it wasn't until like maybe about two or three years ago where I finally like mentioned it to my family, especially coming from episode one, season one. So this is kind of like raw. It's it's not something that I shared um, with my family members throughout like the 30 years of my life. I think it was like at the age of 30 where I was like, okay, I, I need to tell um, my family so that they can understand why I'm, I'm going to be talking about this. So basically it was Sunday school and, um, I remember being in the church and being in the nursery cause I was younger. One of the volunteers, she was kind of like, she was kind of like a rough teacher. Like she wasn't even, no, but she wasn't the main teacher. She was just like, just there. She was just like a helper. And um, she was an older girl and she would take like the kids to the bathroom and stuff like that. And, you know, I didn't really think anything of it. I was only five years old. And then finally, it was one particular day where I asked her to go, I asked to go to the bathroom and she took me there. I don't know. She just, it was just one of those spur of the moment things. And I just remember going into the stall. And when I remember going into the stall, I could see that she was like, on the lookout, just kind of like making sure there was nobody in the bathroom. And then all of a sudden I, I did what I had to do. And, um, she wound up coming into the stall and she was like, you know, she touched me in an inappropriate way. And I mean, mind you, I'm five years old. So I really like, didn't really understand what was going on. I kind of like pushed her off in a way. Um, and I was just, I was just didn't know what was happening. I just really didn't. It happened not one time, but it happened a few times after that where she would just walk me to the bathroom and get in the stall and, you know, touch me inappropriately. Um, so as a five-year-old, when that stuff happens to you, it's kind of weird because you don't really know what's really happening. And you don't, you kind of know, like, it's it's wrong because, like, you know, you see your mom and your dad, like, in, you know, they hug and they love each other. They love and they're just, like, affectionate. But when it's, like, a girl you know, doing inappropriate things to another female. It just seems rather different. It's just, I don't know. I wouldn't say that it was, like, I, I was only five, so I really didn't know what was going on. And on top of that, I was kind of afraid to tell anyone. So I kind of just left it alone. Um, And then, believe it or not, that wasn't the end of it with that particular, like, with that particular issue because throughout like five, six, seven years old, there were other accounts of other girls um, touching me inappropriately as well. Um, and this happened throughout the church and um, one time at school. So I guess as, I wouldn't say as a five-year-old, but when the second issue happened and then the third issue happened, I began to kind of question my identity in a sense because I was like man why aren't the why aren't boys doing this like why are they just why why is it just women you know girls young girls um and then the last two were were around my age so I'm like why is this happening like I know you know curiosity and like people you know want to know and you know when you play mom and dad and it was like it was like scenarios like that like you would play mom and dad but like these other girls would go a little too far with that. So, um, I had some incidents, you know, where I kind of felt like, 
is this the right thing? Like, why aren't boys doing this? Like, like, I don't know. Should I like start liking girls? It was just, it was, I began to doubt, you know, who I was, um, as a young child, pretty much. And I'm gonna say child because I was so young and, um, I don't know. I began to think that maybe girls should be my preference. And, you know, I didn't know too much about homosexuality. Um, you know, I've seen it probably a couple times um, with family members and things like that, distant family members. But, like, I really didn't know what it, what it was and what it entailed or I didn't understand it. So, but I began to think that way. And I began to think that maybe girls are either attracted to me so I should be attracted to them. It's like, it was just very confusing. Um... As I grew older, and I would think about like maybe nine years old, ten years old, you know, I had that frustration, you know. Um, I remember even going all the way up to like even teenagers where, you know, I would like crush on girls secretly, you know, because boys weren't giving me any attention. So I figured, you know, I should like girls instead. And I also knew that homo homosexuality wasn't from God. So I had that battle of like asking God, like, why did this happen to me? You know, did God still love me? You know, I was so close to my mom. How can I tell her? How can I go to her? And I dealt with a lot of insecurities, fears, and doubts. Um, and early, like very early, you know, you get introduced to sexual feelings at an early age. And it was just something that I battled with for a very, very long time. Um, but I'll tell you one thing, you know, these instances that happened to me from the age of five to seven years old, you know, they happened very briefly. They, it wasn't a habitual thing. It happened in certain areas and times of those, of those years, but it did confuse me. It did confuse me. And I was just afraid. I was just afraid to go to anyone. Um, but then as I grew a little bit older we kind of had a turning point in our family in which my dad was given a job in Miami, Florida. And in 1998, I went, my mom, my dad, and myself, um, we moved to Miami, Florida at the age of 11 years old. You know, so that kind of put a pause, that newness, that new, a new place to live, a new place to grow up, that kind of like put all of that behind me, to be honest, like to be honest, um, I put all of that behind me and I just tried to adapt as much as I could to the new school. I was in elementary school, fifth grade. Um, I tried to, you know, just get involved in the new church that I was in and in the preteens ministry. So I don't recall ever having um, just issues like current issues with, you know, my identity but I will tell you that you know there was definitely an igniting of like sexual urges and exploration and pornography as well um so those were things that unfortunately I was exposed to very early on but you know despite my struggles when I was 13 years old you know I experienced the touch of the Holy Spirit so I remember and I'm kind of like fast forwarding a lot but I remember having my first encounter with the Holy Spirit at the age of 13. So it was kind of like a battle. It was kind of like the enemy trying to distract me. It was trying um, to just pull me away from this experience that I was going to happen later later on that year. And that was actually the first time that I felt the Holy Spirit and I spoke in tongues. 
So the age of 13, although I was going through a lot and although I was also just kind of struggling with my insecurities and identity issues, I still had that touch of the Holy Spirit. And I'm just so thankful for, you know, to God for allowing me to have that experience that many people still haven't been able to um, to use, that gift. Um, but then all throughout 13, 13 and up, you know, I had a great teenage upbringing um, my love and attention from my parents, like they loved me, I loved them, you know, just normal teenage issues, but nothing too hard. I didn't, you know, I wasn't rebellious or anything at all. I had great friends from church. Um, I did struggle a lot with my insecurities and there are there were moments of identity issues throughout middle school and high school, but I continued to push on because I was so involved in church. So I was involved in church, dance, drama, worship ministries, and all of that. And my relationship with God grew stronger and stronger. And I remember recommitting my life to him. And, you know, I felt like God was really, really beginning to heal me of those past issues. Um, I'll be honest to say that when I was like maybe 15, 16, like I kind of, I kind of put those things that happened to me early in in my life behind me that it was very it was it was a blur like it wasn't it wasn't really vivid in my memory so the more that I became stronger in my relationship with God the more I felt healed and the more you know he kind of like allowed me to to just not look back at those moments you know so as I became a teenager in my late teenage years, you know, I felt renewed. I felt whole. I was just surrounded by such an amazing group of friends from church. And we were highly, highly involved. And we were just, I was just in everything. I was like in the drama team, the dance team, the worship team. Um, it's just something that I just, I loved doing at the time. And um, like I said, I re- recommitted my life to him and I promised God that I would continue to serve him all the days of my life and then another another turning point in our life occurred and this happened in the year 2004-2005 so all the while I'm doing great God is using me in a mighty way and my dad breaks the news that we'll be moving to Orlando Florida um, two days after I graduate from high school So mind you, it's my senior year. It's early senior year. Um, My dad is actually teaching me how to drive stick shifts in my first car, which was a Volkswagen Beetle. And he's teaching me how to drive stick shifts. And then I, I just remember that he said, okay, pull over right here. And we were like in this little parking lot or whatnot. And he's like, I just wanted to tell you that, um, I got a job at another church in our, but this church is that in Orlando, Florida. And like, I could just remember, like, the first thing I said was like, I'm not going. (laughs) I was just like, I'm not going like you're going because it's senior year, like I knew I was going to go to college. So I was like, No, you're going. I'm not going. And then he actually got the job, like, I think, earlier than like, I would say maybe November, December, maybe even January. So he had to leave way before um so it was just gonna be me and my mom and he already he already made the decision like there was no turning back and I was heartbroken you know what that is to leave 
to another city two days after you graduate and you would have to start brand new like all these hopes and dreams of you like I wanted to go to FIU Florida International University Miami Florida like I had plans you know I wanted to become a teacher which I am praise the Lord um but I wanted to do that in Miami because I had already formed such a great bond with all of my friends and and we were just growing up together I had best friends and we were all the same age and you know we wanted to move in together we wanted to just live you know live that life together and experience college together and I wasn't going to be able to do that so I was heartbroken and I didn't want to leave this the amazing life that I had I didn't want to start over but unfortunately I had no choice so the school year flashes by like in a snap of a finger graduation comes and then the moving day approaches which was two days later and I'll be honest to tell you that I was so mad at God I was so mad at him for allowing this to happen you know and it was it was it was really bad because I can I can vividly remember kind of turning my back on him I was so angry that he would allow this to happen and I doubted his plan I doubted the calling and ultimately um, it led to a 180 switch like it was like the light switch was turned off and I became full-on rebellious um, I just I remember the night that I like was was like you know what like that's it I'm gonna like raise hell <laughs> so we wound up moving to Orlando and I hated it there from the start I hated it so much and although my aunt lived there for years and we were going to visit for especially the holidays but I just never liked Orlando period um, and then I was you know I went to my new church and I just felt like an outsider I met a couple friends and I'll be honest to tell you they weren't the greatest friends they weren't the greatest friends and I just took advantage of that I took advantage of not finding the greatest friends and I was like you know what God you move me here I'm just gonna like live the life like I'm just gonna do my own thing like forget you you know and I took advantage that they weren't the greatest friends and I stuck with them and you know, I was introduced to alcohol and all of that. And it was just sad. It was just sad because everything that I worked for in Miami, spiritually and emotionally, it literally went down the drain in two months time. You know, and I blamed God. I blamed my parents. And it was just the summer of 2005 was was one of the worst summers of my life. I'll be honest to tell you. You know, I turned my back on on my closest friends that were from Miami I remember like them coming up for my birthday and like I didn't I wasn't good to them I wasn't good to them I was changed and all the while I also got into a situation with a male with a guy and at 18 you know I got into a relationship and that led to another downward spiral so even if you thought like in two months time I was gonna turn my back on God like once I got into that relationship I really turned my back on God because you know I gave him everything I had um and everything that I had worked for everything that I had promised God that I was gonna preserve it just went down the drain 
And it was an almost two years relationship, two year relationship. And, you know, just, it was just, it was just very toxic. You know, I'm not gonna talk about that per that person because, you know, throughout that situation, I did grow, you know, I grew in a way where my character was molded, <laughs> molded. Um, but, you know, it was just very toxic. And, you know, things went from bad to worse to good to bad to worse to good. It was just, it was just not good. Um, lying to parents, you know, sexually active. And all the while, the further I got from God, the more insecurities I had. And the more I fell into like a depression and a sadness. And it wasn't until like late 2006 where I started to get suicidal thoughts. Um, and I felt like I didn't have an identity. I just really didn't. Um, eventually, I had a lot of conflict in the relationship. There was a lot of jealousy back and forth. And we eventually separated. And since that particular person had consumed my life in a sense where instead of filling those voids with, with God, um, I filled I filled it with him. So I would see him all the time and like eat, sleep, you know, everything um, invested into that relationship. I just felt like I didn't have an identity anymore once we split up. Because I was so consumed with him that once he left, the void that I had inside was much bigger, much stronger, much deeper than I had ever felt in my life. And those suicidal thoughts came came in. The pain was too, it was too much to bear, too much to bear. And, you know, like I said, since the ex consumed so much of my life, he filled the void. And then without him, I felt empty. I felt worthless. So... Suicidal thoughts began began to be a norm. Um, sadness, despair. I felt like pain, just pain, an aching heart, broken heart. And I had turned my back on God. And to the point where I didn't even feel like going back to him. Like it was like that. Like I didn't feel like going back to him. I was like, I'm too deep. I'm too deep in this pit, man. Like there's no way that he can, he can save me from, like I literally doubted. Um, everything that God had done, knowing everything in my previous life in Miami, it was just, I have felt the Holy Spirit. I felt the presence of God. I felt, um, I knew what the fire of God, I knew the supernatural. I would see angels. I would see, um, demonic things. You know, I knew about all of that prior to coming to Orlando. And it was just like within months time, within two years, like all of that was forgotten. So I, I didn't think God would ever save me or forgive me because I literally decided to turn my back on him. So when all of that happened, I had no one to turn to. I lost all of my friends from Miami and Orlando. And that's something, one of like my deepest regrets, not like being good to those friends that were once there for me, you know? And, you know, I one day would love to, apologize to them because I know that they were kind of like upset because we built we had built such a great friendship and I just threw it out away threw it all away like they would reach out to me and I wouldn't reach out to them and you know if they're listening to this I just want to say I'm sorry you know because we built so many beautiful memories together and I just a boy came around and I just literally just didn't care so 
but that's for another time. Um, but then the dreaded day, um, a little bit later on in the year of 2007, not later on, but actually February 12th, 2007, I was in darkness, sadness, depression. At the time I was living in college in SEU and, um, I had roommates and it was just such a really bad morning. It was a bad morning. There was a dark, there was a darkness in that room from the very beginning. And I just knew that I was just going to do something really crazy that day. Like I just knew it. And the pain was just too much. The pain was, it turned even physical. Like I was feeling physical pain. Like my heart didn't want to feel the pain anymore. Like my, my body, I didn't want to feel the pain anymore. And you know, I, there, we had a bottle of pills that were shared among the roommates and it was a brand new pack. Um, it was like one of those Costco pills that has like over a thousand pills inside. And I drank like almost half the bottle and I was just like, you know, I can't say that I can't do this. So like, have your way. I'm done. I can't go back to you, God. Like, this is like, I'm done. Like, I'm done. Like, and if I go to hell, oh, well, like I knew what I was doing, you know? And I lied down and within the hour, you know, some roommates came in and realized what, what I had done because they had seen the bottle and they take, they took me to the hospital and, um, halfway on the way to the hospital, I felt like I had to throw up. So they kind of stopped and they called the ambulance. The ambulance had to pick me up. It was just very dramatic. And, you know, I was still kind of like in and out or whatever. And when I got to the hospital, um, obviously they had to force me to drink some liquid charcoal and I had to do that gagging like crazy. Um, and then because I attempted to take my life, I was Baker acted. All I have to say is from that moment on, when I saw my parents come into the room, I just, I just didn't know what to think. I just didn't know. I had already put my parents through so much. Like it was only two years, but I put them through so much. I would lie. I would just do things behind their back. It was just like really, really toxic. And I, and they were just so patient with me. And I know that it was my mom and dad's prayers that pulled me through. Like, I know it was. I know it was. And when I saw them, I just felt embarrassed and sad to see them. But at the same time, I was relieved. I was relieved that I was saved. I was relieved that I was still alive. Because although I wanted to to die earlier that day, and it just didn't happen, it was just a relief to know that I, it didn't it didn't pull through, like it didn't follow through. So obviously, I was taken to the psych ward of the hospital and I was scheduled to be there for seven days. Um, I had a roommate, you know, um, this roommate in that room, she was crying all night and I couldn't sleep the first night. I asked God to help me like block out all the crying. It was just like too unbearable. And I, at that moment, I was like, yo, like why am I even here? Like there's people here that, that like need to be here, you know, like I could... I should have made a better decision, but at the time, it was just so f full of despair and desperation and sadness. I just didn't want to live anymore, you know, but I was like, no, you know, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. And that's when, like, I felt like my senses, my spiritual, my the Holy Spirit was trying to, like, just revive itself within me. And then on the second day, um, I worked up the courage. I finally worked up the courage to pray. I felt embarrassed 
that it took me so long to ask God for help. And I asked him. I asked him for forgiveness. And I felt so much shame. Um, but I asked for forgiveness. And I asked him for a new heart. I was like, God, my heart, my heart has been battered and torn and, and ripped apart. And I just want a new heart. That's all I want. And I can honestly say that that night, I felt like God gave me a new heart. Like he literally did a transplant, like a heart transplant on that bed. And I remember that night sleeping like a baby. That even the lady that was crying next to me the whole night, like I couldn't hear her. That's like, that's how deep I was. And I really felt like God did that heart transplant on me. And the next day, and this was all God, um, the psychiatrist came in to ask me some questions and she saw that I was fine. She could see it in my face and she signed the papers for me to leave. So I was only there for about two days. Um, so that was definitely God because, you know, they could have left me there a little longer. Um, but God restored me that night. God restored me. I would say that that was like February 13th, 2007. God restored me that night, man. And, you know, from, from that day on, I never looked back. I felt like the prodigal daughter. I knew of God and his promises. I had experienced his presence in supernatural ways. I had seen the hand of God move in my life. And I threw it all. I threw it all away because of a bump on a road. A move. You know, I walked away from God thinking that I was too far sidetracked to get back. I doubted if he'd ever forgive me, restore me, revive me. You know, I was on the verge of death in a situation that could have gone in destructive ways. But I was saved. You know, I was saved from the hand of death and it was all because of Jesus. So that is the story of, you know, my restoration, my renewal. And I wanted to share this. In Luke 15, starting in verse 11, we have a man who has two sons. And the youngest son asked his father for his share of his estate and basically he just set off he just left he was like okay give me my half of the estate like i'm leaving <laughs> and he leaves to a distant country and he winds up spending all of his riches and eventually he was in need he reached such a low point that he took a job feeding pigs and then he realized that he would go back to his father and that is what he did and for me Verse 20 is so powerful because it states that like while the son was way far off, the father saw him coming and was filled with compassion towards him and he ran to him. So the father seeing his son all the way over there and the father just bugged and just ran to him, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And, you know, the son asked for forgiveness and the father through one of the biggest celebrations in his home for his son who had returned. He gave him the best robe. He gave him a ring. You know, and in the story, the older son gets angry and that he worked for his dad all these years and never had a similar celebration. And his dad exclaims in verse 32, it says, But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And that story runs parallel to my story. What's amazing about Jesus is that no matter how far you think you are from him, he will always welcome you with open arms. The father in this parable could have just waited for him to get to the house. He could have just rejected him, said, no, you, you, you know, 
you spent your your share of the estate, so you gotta go. But the father saw him in the distance and ran to him and had compassion over him. And I believe that Jesus gave me a second chance at life. And Jesus will always give us a second chance. You know, the word of God says in Proverbs twenty four sixteen, it says, For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. And there's plenty of times where I have fallen, even after all of this. But I got to get back up again, you know, because now I, I understand that even though I fall and I know God is there, even though I'm struggling, God is there. Even though I'm going through the situation, God is there and I got to rise again. And, you know, it doesn't matter what you've done, what you've been through or what you currently are going through. You know, Jesus wants you just the way that you are. You don't wait for things to get better or for you to be better um, to go to Jesus. Don't allow pride to restrict you from running into the arms of the one who will love you unconditionally, who will heal you, who will protect you. Jesus has an individual plan for each and every one of us in this life. And he wants us to succeed. He wants us to prosper. He wants us to achieve our goals and live our dreams. So on this episode today, on this first episode of season six, I want to invite you to come to him. That no matter the circumstances, if you've been hurt, abused, or abandoned, come to Jesus. If you've sinned and think you could never be delivered from your struggle, come to Jesus. If you are battling with depression, suicidal thoughts, anxiety, come to Jesus. And if you are suffering from an illness or a disease, come to Jesus. He is the father to the fatherless. He is our healer, provider, promise keeper, way maker, friend, prince of peace. He longs for an intimate relationship with you. Wherever you are right now, if you're listening to Benevolence in your car, in your home, in your school, your job. And I've always wanted to do this. And I feel like season six is a good start to do this. Um, if you want to commit yourself to the Lord. Or if you straight away and you want to recommit your life to him. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I come before you today. Because I am in great need of your love and of your grace. I ask that you will forgive me. For all that I have done, I ask that you restore me, renew my heart and mind. Come into my heart. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose on the third day. I believe that now you reign in my heart and you will one day come again. I ask that you will be the driver of my life. I surrender my life to you. Have your way in me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, if you said that prayer for the first time, or you have said this prayer as a recommitment to him, Jesus and his angels are rejoicing, and so am I. You know, from this point on, God is going to show up in your life like never before. He has a promise for your life, and he will give you the strength and courage to remain in him. Now, you're probably asking yourself, now what? Well, commit, committing your life to Jesus is basically having a relationship with him. Just like you have a relationship with your spouse or significant other or sibling or parents, you know, he wants to have a relationship with you. You can strengthen your relationship by reading the word of God and through prayer. 
Worshipping is also another factor in your walk and he longs for you to worship him. So you can always like come up with the playlist of some worship songs. You can ask a friend who's a believer to send you some songs. But worshiping, worshiping is a very important factor in our walk with Christ. You can find a church in which you can fellowship with other believers. Or you can find a believer that can keep you accountable. You know, just remember that this fresh start with Jesus may not be an easy one. But if you wholeheartedly commit to this relationship through prayer, reading the word and fellowship, he will be able to help you and get through. You will be able to make it through. Now, if you already have a relationship with Jesus, just know that he is not done with you yet. His promises remain the same in your life. Don't look at what the world is telling you to be. Look at who God wants you to be. Don't look at your current circumstances. Praise him in advance for what he is going to take you out of. He will help you get there. I promise you that because he did it with me. I didn't think that God would use me after I had turned my back on him. But ever since that day in the hospital, God has done so many amazing things in my life. He's opened so many doors and given me opportunities that I have never dreamed of. My life is a testament of his saving grace. And that is why I live for him. If this was your first time or your second, third time tuning in or you are an active listener on Benevolence, I want to hear from you. I want to listen to your story of what God has done in your life. I want to be that accountability in your walk with God. So if you would please, um, if this, if you recommitted your life to God or you asked Jesus to come into your heart or you just prayed this prayer for God to help you with the current circumstances that you are in, I want to know. I want to pray for you. I want to be there for you. So if you can DM me on Instagram at Benevolence Podcast, that would just mean the world to me. And, you know, just know that God will always be there for you with open arms. He will never leave you nor forsake you because that's what the word says. And thank you all for tuning into Benevolence, where kindness matters and all are welcome to the table. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at Benevolence Podcast. Benevolence Podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay tuned for our Benevolent Wednesday feature where different women share their stories of what God has done in their life. And stay tuned for next Monday's episode of Benevolence. You don't want to miss it. Bye.